10, beginning in verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among them who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray, about the sixth hour, high noon that is, around lunchtime. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened in an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. It was like a giant picnic blanket. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. According to an article in a recent USA Today, folks are going wild over exotic meats. A growing number of people, including meat markets and butchers, butcher shops, are selling game meats, along with the usual staples of beef and chicken and turkey. Today, people are adding zebra and venison and buffalo and wild boar and ostrich and rattlesnake and antelope and kangaroo, even alligator and crocodile to their diets. The article quoted a chef from Dallas, Texas. Ostrich and antelope are two of our biggest sellers. It used to be that I couldn't give it away. But now everybody wants to expand their taste bud vocabulary. Well, in Acts chapter 10, the Lord seeks to expand Peter's taste bud vocabulary. God serves a kosher Jew a variety of exotic meats, and he commands him to eat. At first, Peter's reluctant, but eventually he obeys. God repeats the vision three times to convince Peter that the new entrees are good for the body, not necessarily his body, but for the body of Christ. Eventually, the Apostle Peter answers the call of the wild 
and obeys the Lord. He opens his mind, his heart, his mouth, and in the process, the community of God. In a daring act, Peter forever changes the scope of Christianity in the makeup of the Christian church. In Acts chapter 10, God does a new work, and he chooses Peter to lead the way. Peter moves out into new territory. He blazes a new trail. He sails into uncharted waters. Yet first, he has to overcome his own reluctance, his own hesitance. It's through this vision in Acts chapter 10 that God gives to Peter the courage to cut anchor and to set sail. You and I need to understand that God is always doing a new thing. Whenever he waters the earth, no two raindrops or snowflakes are exactly alike. When God makes people, no two thumbprints are identical. God loves variety. The creator loves to be creative. The scriptures tell us that God promised Israel a new covenant. He puts a new heart and a new spirit within us. He places a new song in our mouths and pours out the new wine of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave his disciples a new commandment to love one another. When we embrace Christ, we're told that all things are passed away and behold, all things become new. One day, God will even create a new heaven and a new earth. In fact, the Bible ends with this declaration, Revelation 21, verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. The one true God is a God of newness. God always has a new work he wants to start, a new plan he wants to employ, new changes he wants to initiate. The words God and new go together. Well, this sounds so exciting. We like to talk about new ventures and dream of new territory. But if the truth be told, most human beings are creatures of habit. I heard of a man who lived on a lake far, far from the nearest city. He owned an airplane and he enjoyed taking his wife on weekend junkets. But he hated the long drive from his house to the airport where he stored his plane. So he decided to replace the tires on his airplane with pontoons so that he could land and take off his plane from the lake in front of his house and avoid the long drive into town. Well, once the modifications had been completed, he took his wife on their maiden voyage. But when he returned, out of habit, he headed for the airport to land the plane. He started his descent when all of a sudden it dawned on his wife what was happening. She started screaming, you can't land on the runway. We've got pontoons, not tires. He pulled up the controls at the last second to avert disaster. Well, needless to say, the couple was seriously shaken. After they had safely landed their airplane back on the lake, both of them breathed a sigh of relief. That's when the pilot, he turned to his wife and he admitted, he said, honey, he said, that was the stupidest thing I've ever done. Then he opened the door and stepped out into the lake. (laughs) You see, we are creatures of habit. We gravitate more toward the rut than we do to the risk. We often are slow to adapt to the changes that God wants to make in our lives. Rather than be ready to branch out, we like to stay put. 
See, God is the one who's quick to move ahead. We're the ones, more often than not, who are lagging behind. See, God wanted to do a new thing in the affairs of man. God wanted to begin a new chapter in his plan for the ages. And he wanted to use this man, Peter. Jesus chose Peter to take the first step in a brilliant new direction. For 2,000 years, God had worked almost exclusively among the descendants of Abraham. To participate in God's plan for salvation, a person had to be a Hebrew. But with the coming of Jesus into the world, God made a major change. No longer would you have to be a child of Abraham to be a child of God. Now everyone, Jew and Gentile, could join God's family simply by expressing their faith and embracing Jesus. On the cross, Jesus died to forgive the sins of the whole world, not just those of the Jews. This meant that God's family would no longer be a Jewish fraternity. The family of God was now for all people, of all races, of all tribes and ethnicities. We're no longer first and foremost Jew or Gentile, black or white, young or old, male or female, bulldog or yellow jacket. We're now one new race of people. We're Christians. Just before our Lord ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to take the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Earlier, Jesus had given to Peter the keys to the kingdom of God. It would be Peter's joy and privilege to open the door of the church to each of these new people groups. In Acts chapter 2, Peter swung open the door to the Jews on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 8, he opened the door to the Samaritans. Now here in Acts chapter 10, Peter has the privilege of swinging open the door of salvation, the door of God's family, to Gentiles. Before this chapter is through, Peter will preach the gospel to a group of Italian soldiers in the city of Caesarea. And a new day, a new era will dawn. Without a baptism or a circumcision, without offering a tithe or a sacrifice, without engaging in the first ritual or making any attempt to keep the Jewish law, through faith in Jesus Christ alone, the first Gentiles will be welcomed into God's family and filled with God's Holy Spirit. What an exciting breakthrough to be part of. Yet Peter was initially resistant. Despite understanding his calling, Peter wants to gravitate back toward familiar ground. He chooses to camp out on old territory. See, he's comfortable where he's at. He's used to certain protocols. And it's going to take a nudge from God to move him in this new direction. The Lord is going to speak to Peter in a vision. Peter had been staying with Simon the Tanner in the city of Joppa. It was noontime, and the Mediterranean heat had begun to soar. Peter decides to move up on the rooftop patio to enjoy the shade. Old Peter, he's got a cold glass of lemonade in one hand and his Bible in the other. He's chilling out. He's just spending the morning with the Lord. But it doesn't take long for Peter to get hungry. Not just hungry for the Lord, but hungry for a Big Mac. I mean, it's lunchtime. 
And it's comforting to me personally to realize that God not only speaks to you when you're fasting, but also when you're waiting on lunch. God can speak to me while I'm on my knees, but he can also speak to me while I'm in the drive through line waiting on a Wendy's hamburger. That's encouraging to me. If the Lord uses Peter's stomach to speak to his spirit, then there's hope for me. Peter falls into a trance, and he sees a vision. This giant picnic blanket descends from heaven. God was the cook who had prepared the lunch. But when Peter looked at the menu, it was full of what Judaism considered exotic meats. Pork chops and bacon and sausage and shrimp. This was all stuff that a good Jewish boy couldn't eat. Yet God was inviting Peter to eat what had previously been forbidden. He was doing a new thing. Reminds me of a man who moved with his family to the back country of Arizona. He wanted to try his hand at farming. But times were tough. Situation gotten desperate. His family was starving. When one day this giant condor flew over the man's house. Landed right there in the front yard. He ran inside, grabbed his shotgun. I mean, this was provision from God. Blam! Bird was dead. He plucked a huge fowl, served it, cooked it over the hot coals for a long time, served it up to his family. It was a feast fit for a king. But as the family sat down to enjoy the dinner, the game warden showed up. He busted into the house grabbed the bird as evidence, and handcuffed the man. This farmer was so sorry. He explained the dire and desperate circumstances that had driven him to kill this priceless bird, this bird that was on the state's endangered species list. He was so sorry. He begged the game warden for mercy. He said, please, I mean, my poor wife, my children, they were starving. We had no food. I mean, this bird just shows up. I mean, he's just right here in my yard. I'll never do it again, please. I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. Well, the game warden was a soft-hearted man. He was touched by all of this, and he decided to show mercy. He let the man go. But as the game warden walked off, he turned, and he asked the farmer. He said, hey, he said, you know, you're okay, but off the record, just tell me one thing. I've always wanted to want, I've always wondered, I've always wanted to know. What does condor meat taste like? Well, the man looked up rather matter-of-factly, and he answered, Oh, condor meat is a little sweeter than bald eagle, but not quite as tender as spotted owl. Well, as far as Peter was concerned, he would be in big trouble with the Jewish game wardens if he ate any of the animals that he saw in that picnic blanket. They were all off limits to good Jews. They were all on Moses' forbidden list. In Leviticus 11, God had deemed certain foods unclean. They were taboo. They were off limits. Jewish people were only supposed to eat kosher or clean animals, sheep and goats and the like. But now God was changing the rules. And God can do that, by the way. I mean, God established the rules in the first place. He can change them if he likes. God is God. He can do what he wants. The dietary laws were put in place for a certain period of time. 
and for a specific purpose. But once the reason for the rules had expired and the time period had elapsed, the rules were no longer necessary. A voice from heaven reiterates this to Peter three times. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Peter's reluctance, his hesitance to obey God is almost comical here. He sits down to the picnic and the voice of God thunders, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Wow, strikes me as a pretty authoritative command. And yet Peter responds, Not so, Lord. Peter, that's an illogical statement. You can't say, not so, Lord. You can say, not so, friend, or not so, buddy, or not so, mister. But you can't say, not so, Lord. You can't call Jesus Lord, which is master, which is boss, then refuse to obey him. Peter's answer is the ultimate oxymoron. Yet before we laugh too hard at Peter, we should recall how many times God has tried to initiate a change in our lives. He's given us new marching orders, but for one reason or another, we became obstinate. Have we ever echoed Peter's response? Not so, Lord. Here's what I believe. Usually for a Christian, it's not that we don't want to obey. We know the changes that God requires are needed. We're even excited about the newness He wants to bring to our lives. We know and believe that what God does in us is for our good. Yet why the reluctance? Why the hesitance? Why our apprehension? Well, there are three obstacles that Peter had to overcome before he could embrace and cooperate with the new work that God wanted to do with him and through him. The same three obstacles we have to overcome. If you're taking notes, you should jot these down. The first obstacle was prejudice. Prejudice. The second was precedent. And the third was preference. Prejudice, precedent, and preference. These are the same three obstacles that you and I have to overcome if we're ever going to cut anchor and be free to follow the new directives the Holy Spirit has for our lives. To escape the rut, to move along a new path for God, we also have to overcome the roadblocks of prejudice and precedent and preference. The first inner roadblock that Peter had to overcome was prejudice. Prejudices are false notions. They're erroneous assumptions that we often are taught from an early age. And Peter's Jewish upbringing had spawned all kinds of prejudices about Gentiles. Some of the Jewish rabbis taught that Gentiles were physically contaminated and unclean. They were painted as carriers of disease and transmitters of sin. The rabbis prohibited a Jew from entering a Gentile's house or a Gentile from entering a Jewish home. In fact, if a Jew accidentally brushed up against a Gentile while walking down the street, as soon as he arrived home, he was supposed to burn his tainted clothes and then take a ritual bath to cleanse himself of the impurities. Some rabbis went as far as to teach that the Gentiles had but one purpose. They had been created by God to stoke the fires of hell. 
First century Jews had forgotten the Old Testament prophecies that spoke of God's love for the Gentiles and God's intention to use Israel to be a light to the Gentiles. See, this vision was important to Peter not only because it permitted him to eat bacon for breakfast, but because it allowed him to eat that bacon with Gentiles. This vision cleared up his misconceptions and dispelled his prejudices. As vision goes, it caused Peter to see clearly, to see people different from himself, people other than his Jewish brethren, even Gentiles, as God himself saw them. This change, the change that God required in Peter's diet, illustrated the changes that God was going to make in Peter's relationships. You see, for centuries, Jews had been considered clean and Gentiles unclean. Jews were special. Everyone else was merely common. But God is showing Peter that now the line of demarcation has changed. That in God's eyes, humans are no longer separated as Jews and Gentiles, but as believers and unbelievers. God makes everyone who embraces Jesus a special person. Regardless of your race, your age, your gender, your nationality, your economic status, even your football team loyalty. You're now one in Christ. You're a new person in Christ Jesus. It's now cool for Peter to eat a barbecue pork sandwich, but more importantly, it's now cool for him to do it with Gentile believers. They're his brothers. In Christ, we're all one. Let me suggest that Peter is not the only person who's had a prejudice that kept him from moving in the new direction God desired. I'm afraid that we all hold on to man-made traditions or scriptural misunderstandings that keep us out of new venues, away from new people, opposed to new ideas, deprived of new experiences. I'm not sure Peter was even aware of his prejudice until it was challenged, until that picnic blanket of exotic meats descended from heaven and he was told to eat. Are you sure your reluctance to move in a certain direction or to embrace a particular person is founded on a biblical conviction or is it a mere prejudice? I recall the first time I met Pastor James. After a few weeks, I had to repent of thinking that it was impossible to be a tech fan and a real Christian. I had to admit, it was just a pure prejudice. That's all it was, was just a pure prejudice. If I hadn't have overcome it, I would have been deprived of a good friend. What prejudices are holding you back from the new work that God wants to do in and through you? Well, the second roadblock that Peter had to overcome was precedent. You see, Peter was being asked to do something he had never done before. He had stayed kosher his whole life long. He wasn't sure he wanted to start a new precedent. Listen to his rebuttal. He says, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. I've never done this. Peter is saying, I'm a good Jewish boy. I've taken pride in my diet. My faith has been based on my choices in food. I've never had sausage on my pizza. And quite frankly, I'm too old to start now. That's what he's saying. You know, some steps are hard to take. 
just because we've never taken them before. I don't know why God has asked you to move into this new direction at this time. I don't know why he's never asked you to do it before, but he's asking you to do it now. And it's hard. It's hard to take a step where we've never taken a step before. We like living in the comfort zone, don't we? The shallow end always seems safer. There's less risk there. Sadly, some of us would rather stay close to home, even if it means missing out on God's best for us. I admit there's a sense of security in the routines of life. We get used to patterns, and we resent disruptions. In fact, some of you, I know this to be true, some of you silently get ticked off when you walk into church and a visitor has taken your seat in the sanctuary where you normally like to sit. How dare them? That's what you're thinking as you're smiling. You're thinking, how dare that person? That's my seat. I'm going to have to find a new seat. I'm going to have to adjust to a new angle. It's an unwelcome disturbance. Once there was a young man, a young woman, I'm sorry, who was helping her mother-in-law prepare for Thanksgiving dinner. She noticed that her mother-in-law sliced the end off the turkey before she put it in the pan. Well, the young lady asked her why. Her puzzled mother-in-law answered, said, well, to be honest with you, I'm not sure. It's just the way my mother did it. Well, the next year, the young lady was helping Grandma prepare the Thanksgiving feast. And so she asked, she says, Grandma, why do you slice off the end of the turkey before you put it in the pan? Grandma was also surprised. She started scratching her head, and she said, well, to tell you the truth, honey, I'm really not sure. That's just the way great-grandmother always did it. Well, later that night, the daughter-in-law asked her great-grandma why she cut the end of the turkey off before putting it in the pan. Well, the matriarch of the family explained, said, well, honey, we were so poor, my pan wasn't big enough for the turkey. (laughs) See, often we get stuck in patterns that have long outlived their original purpose. We do stuff, but we no longer know why. We've always done it that way. Well, hey, that's just not a good enough answer. Do you know why you do what you do, especially when it comes to your relationship with God? Are you following truth? Are you bowing to a precedent? Too many Christians are weighed down by the familiar. Your balloon is full of hot gas, but you'll never get off the ground and soar in a new direction until you cut the tie lines and get rid of the sandbags. Well, the third roadblock that Peter had to overcome was preference. This is similar to precedent, but there's a difference. Precedent is the addiction to what's familiar, while preference is the addiction to what's comfortable. Precedent does things because that's the way we've always done them, whereas preference does things just because it feels good or it feels right at the time. You know, many Christians resist God's growth and the new experiences He desires for them because initially new ventures are accompanied by uncomfortable feelings. Here's a truth that I want you to jot down. You should jot this down. All growth requires change. All change requires loss 
and all loss requires pain. All growth requires change. Changes have to be made, but when we change something, we lose something. It's inevitable. And then, of course, when we lose something, there's a pain involved. All growth requires change. All change requires loss. All loss requires pain. And this is why we don't grow. This is why we refuse to branch out. Because it means that we're inviting some initial discomfort into our life, and we don't like that. We don't want the pain. And this is why I empathize so with Peter. Diet was no small matter to a Jew. Peter had been trained and conditioned from childhood to view foods as clean and unclean. To change his perspective now at the drop of a hat, he would have to ditch long-held beliefs and violate his convictions and throw his tradition to the wind. This wouldn't be easy. This would be a tall order for an Orthodox Jew. In a million ways for Peter to eat a barbecue pork sandwich, it just wouldn't feel right. This is like a diehard Southern Baptist wearing shorts to church. I can't wear shorts to church. We got to go home. I got to change. I can't wear shorts to church. Where does that come from? Or, or it's like mowing grass on Sunday. I can't mow my grass on Sunday afternoon. You know, it's a behavior that goes against the grain. It's not how we were taught. It's a violation of our conscience. There are certain behaviors that are not morally or biblically or scripturally wrong. They just fly in the face of a tradition. This is the same kind of visceral reaction. I see it on people's faces. When we have some traditional church folks that walk into the church, I see their reaction when they walk in and they hear the rock and roll music. I mean, there's nothing in the Bible to suggest one style of music is any holier or more pleasing to God than another. But if you're not used to it, or if you've been told it was wrong at some point in the past, it just doesn't feel right. All too often, prejudices and precedents and preferences are based on our feelings rather than God's truth. Here's a shocking statement for you, but it's true. The Holy Spirit is always biblical, but He is not always traditional. God's truth can take us outside the boundaries of our own tastes. God's Spirit isn't bound to conform to our preferences. Let me make another shocking statement. Often the Holy Spirit's enemy in our life is our own conscience. See, our conscience can be our friend or our enemy. The conscience is an interesting organ. It's trained by either tradition or by God's, God's truth. Usually the conscience is on God's side, but at other times it's not. On occasion, we have to step over our conscience in order to obey the Lord's command. We have to open ourselves up to the new work He wants to do in our lives. Our text here is a great example. It's the classic example. Up until the time of Peter's vision, his diet had been a matter of conscience. In the past, if Peter was ever tempted with a bacon biscuit, his conscience wouldn't allow him to eat it. But now God is requiring him to retrain his conscience. 
Baking biscuits might not be your challenge, but what about other prejudices or precedents or preferences that you've held that have hindered you from following God? Maybe you were taught from an early age to be suspicious of white people. Or maybe you were taught by your parents not to mingle with black folks. Maybe you don't gravitate toward young people. You're more comfortable with folks your own age. It could be that tattoos give you the creeps. But your neighbor's got one, and God keeps putting it on your heart to go over and reach out to your neighbor. Don't let a tattoo become a taboo. It could be you've never interacted well with young kids, little kids, and yet that's the group that God's laid on your heart to start helping. Perhaps you've been biased in the past towards specific fashions or styles of worship or certain Christian liberties or cultural traditions, and your likes and dislikes are now getting in the way of obeying God and moving out into a new place. Don't mistake a prejudice or a precedent or a preference for the truth. God's truth is the truth, and it's the truth that sets us free. Here's another illustration. Nothing is more uncomfortable or unnatural than snow skiing. Any of you been snow skiing? Yeah, good. Nothing's more unnatural than snow skiing, especially if you're used to water skiing. Here are two sports. They go by the same name, skiing. But they require opposite motions. To water ski, you lean back. If you ever let your weight get up in front of your skis, you're, you're, you're a buoy. But to snow ski, you lean forward. You're going down the hill, but the whole idea is to keep your weight forward. Lean back on snow, and what happens? You end up on your backside. To snow ski, you have to resist your feelings to lean back. You have to resist your inclination, and you have to lean forward, and it feels odd. You're flying downhill, and every instinct tells you to lean uphill. You've got to fight the natural tendency. The only way you can learn to ski is to resist your fake feelings and make yourself do what's uncomfortable, the thing that doesn't come easy for you. It's amazing how much of Christian discipleship doesn't feel natural at first. You were dead in your sins. Now you've come to know Jesus. A lot of those inclinations you had before are no longer going to apply. The will of God can cause a beginning fear and discomfort. This is why you have to endure the initial awkwardness to get to the blessing. For example, worship is an activity that can feel strange at first. I mean, closing your eyes and lifting your hands can make you feel really self-conscious. But hey, our wonderful God deserves to be worshipped. And this is how he's told us to do it. We need to burst through those feelings. Think about tithing. Trust me, giving 10% of your income to God is not a natural impulse. At first, it feels uncomfortable. You're filled with doubt about what you're doing. Until you begin to see the blessings that the Lord brings as a result. Sharing your faith is also an uncomfortable 
situation in the beginning. No one likes to bring up a subject that other people are trying to duck. But if people's eternity can be altered, isn't it worth tolerating an awkward moment and some initial resistance to share your faith? Of course it is. Even getting involved in a new church can be disconcerting. We think, well, I I don't know anybody here. Or, or, Or these people are not like me. There's an uncomfortableness. But that reluctance is what's robbing you of friendships that you need. See, you open the door to incredible new experiences when you break out of your comfort zone and you're willing to respond, yes, Lord, anything you say. Years ago, the Denver Zoo was given a huge white polar bear to put on exhibit. I mean, this bear was beautiful, beautiful animal. But the zoo had no place to exhibit the bear. Funds had to be raised to build a new environment similar to its natural habitat. Well, in the meantime, the bear was placed in a small temporary cage. The space was so small that the bear could only take three steps in one direction, turn around, and then take three steps in the opposite direction. The bear just repeated the pattern over and over and over again. Well, after a year or so of construction, the bear finally got its new home, and it was a magnificent venue. It had caves and waterfalls and rocks. There was plenty of room for the bear to roam. But when the bear was unleashed, guess what it did? It took three steps, turned around, and took three steps back. And the bear repeated the maneuver over and over and over again. God wants to build a Christian life for you that allows you room to roam and explore and enjoy new environments and new people and new opportunities. But it's up to you to shed your three steps and turn around mentality. You need to break out of the rhythm of faithlessness and muster the courage to open yourself up to the new work that God, that God wants to do. It's no surprise that Peter's vision was repeated three times. It shot down his prejudices, then it overcame his precedent, and then it propelled him past his preferences. God expanded Peter's spiritual taste buds, and he wants to do the same in your life. He wants to break up the bland diet and challenge you to try a few exotic dishes. Will you answer the call of the wild? Let God do a new work in and through your life. Father, we thank you.